Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We are in the last week of Advent, this uh, season of waiting and preparation for Christmas, and we have been reflecting on the traditional themes of Christmas, uh, hope and peace and joy, and we've been looking at those as they're found in the book of Isaiah. And this morning, we come to the final theme, love. Love is, you could say, the most important of all the themes. Um, Because God is love. Because you can't have hope without love. Without love, you can't have peace. Without love, you can't have joy. In fact, love is the reason why there is a Christmas. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. These verses uh, that I'm going to read for us are from Isaiah 53. And they never use the word love. And yet, they are some of the most beautiful, love-saturated verses in all of the Bible. What makes these verses even more amazing is that Isaiah, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words about 700 years before Christ. 700 years before Christ. They are... Um, This passage is one of the clearest prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Sometimes this chapter is referred to as the fifth gospel. So I'm going to uh, read it for us. If you're willing and able, would you please uh, stand? Isaiah 53, starting at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who, cons- who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days." The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and minds and hearts to receive your word for us this morning, that it might change us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated, please. So Christmas and love seem to go together. Um, These words from the artist Casey Musgraves, uh, she says, I don't need ribbons and bows to cure my woes. No, I just need your love, right? Christmas and love um, seem to go together, but I like this quote better from Hamilton Wright, maybe. Blessed is the season which engages the whole world in a conspiracy of love. I love that, a conspiracy of love. Isaiah, uh, as he goes through his book, um, hits on a theme uh, where he identifies a person that he calls the servant uh, of the Lord. And there are uh, what are are known as four servant songs, four songs about this servant. And what we just read is the last servant song. Sometimes he's referred to in this passage as the the suffering servant. Um, Mark 10.45, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to be a servant and to give my life as a ransom for many. The suffering servant. True love at Christmas, what Christmas is really about is servant love. And so that's what we're gonna think about together this morning. Servant love. Um, The first thing to mention is our rejection of servant love. Our rejection of servant love. I did a funeral a couple weeks ago for uh, Gary Sheldon. And um, uh, Gary, when he uh, proposed to his wife, Tricia, uh, he, um, uh, he went to medieval times and he asked if he could borrow a knight's costume, and they gave him a brand new knight's costume that had never been worn before. And uh, they also gave him a costume for like a page boy. And uh, Trisha worked at a, at a job that she was up on the second floor, and her building had like a balcony that looked out um, over the street. And so uh, Gary figured it out and, uh, and got it, uh, worked it with all of his friends, and uh, got her out onto the balcony, not knowing what was going on. And, uh, and as she steps out on the balcony, he rides up on a horse in his medieval times knight's, uh, knight costume and sends up uh, this page boy with a pillow and a ring on it. And uh, says, Maiden Tricia, will you marry me? And she took the ring and threw it down and said, get away from me. No, that's not what happened. Um, <laughs> She said yes, of course, right? She said yes. But what if she had done that? What if she had, what if she had taken the page boy and chucked him off the balcony 
and said, leave me alone. Well, it would have been awful, right? Unthinkable. And yet, we as sinners, that is exactly what we have done to God. Right? He, he has moved toward us with servant love, and we rejected him. John said, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Uh, or, uh, as um, the Apostle Paul said, no one naturally wants God. No one naturally seeks after God. Isaiah said, he was despised and rejected by men. We hid our faces from him, and we esteemed him not. Meaning, we looked at him, we took it all in, and we didn't see anything that we thought was worthy or valuable. Nothing that we thought deserved our love in return. We've rejected his servant love. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have deliberately strayed. We followed our own path rather than the path that God, our shepherd, has provided. Notice there, it's a, it's a corporate profession, right? All we, like sheep, have strayed, but then it's also an individual confession, right? Each one of us, every one of us has turned to his own way. The servant love of God is only for those who first admit that they have scorned his love. It is only for those who confess that they, like stubborn and disobedient sheep, have gone their own way. I mean, what are the two main words that are used in this passage to describe our contribution to this love story? The two main words that are used are transgressions and iniquities. Right? A, a transgression is a rebellious breaking of God's law. So. I took my kids, uh, we took our kids the other night to uh, the World Equestrian Center up in Ocala. And they have it decorated with Christmas lights and it's beautiful. And in, in the hotel, this, this amazing hotel they have there, they have an incredible toy store. And in the toy store, they have these uh, life-sized stuffed animals. I mean, huge giraffes to the ceiling and elephants and bears. And in front, like you know, all over the room, in front of each one of these stuffed animals is a sign that says, do not touch. And so uh, I pointed that sign out to, to one of my daughters, and she said, I want to touch it so bad. Right? Um, transgression means, isn't just that you poked the animal. You climbed up on the animal. Right? You tore the animal. You stole it from the store. Transgression is a deliberate flouting of the Lord and his law. We have rebelled against our creator and our king. Right? Iniquities is, is the other word. Iniquities reflects the, the bentness or the, the pervertedness of our human nature. It's, it's, we don't just sin, we are sinners. Right? It's not just what we do, it's, it's who we are. I went one time to a uh, Benedictine monastery out in New Mexico. And uh, I, I just wanted to try to get away, get some time uh, in solitude and, and prayer and, and uh, reading and reflection. And so um, you, you go to the monastery and you get invited into the life of these monks. And 
and part of that life is uh, for a Benedictine monk is you keep uh, services throughout the day. They, they come together in their chapel and they recite the Psalms and, uh, and have worship services. And, and I, I didn't grow up Catholic, so there's um, a lot that I wasn't familiar with, but there was one point where they were uh, going through a time of confession and it just absolutely struck me where, where they said, uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, right? Through my fault, through my fault, through my own grievous fault. They're, they're acknowledging that I'm a sinner, right? It's who I am. Um, we had a service uh, for Good Friday one time, and remember we, we built a big cross and, and uh, laid it down here uh, on the stage and uh, asked people, gave pieces of paper and asked them to write uh, to a sin that they wanted to confess. Write it down, fold it up, no one else would see it, just them. And during communion, they came up and uh, we had hammers and nails and they came up and nailed that sin to the cross and the sound of that nailing echoing through this room, people were weeping, right? Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Christmas tells us that Santa comes to good little boys and girls. But that's not the Christmas story. Um, there was a little boy one time, he was, he was writing a letter to God, not to Santa, but he was writing a letter to God about the presents that he wanted um, for Christmas. And, and he began writing his letter and he, he, he said, uh, I've been good for six months. And after a moment's reflection, he, he crossed out six months and he wrote three months. I've been good for three months. And after a pause, he crossed that out again and he said, two weeks. Um, and then there was another pause and that was crossed out too. So he got up and uh, went over to the nativity uh, that was where he was and, and where they had the Mary and the Joseph and, and, uh, and he, he took the Mary from the nativity and came back to, to his place and began writing again and he said, dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> I think that kid got it, right? He knew that he could not claim any goodness. How about you? You know, it's not just that I'm on the naughty list. It's that I'm at the bottom of it, right? Uh, and uh, and just, just, a, just a point of clarification on this. If you're, if you're a Christian, right, if you've been redeemed uh, by Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit has given you a heart of flesh and place of your heart of stone, and now you have a, a new nature, um, the truth is there are, still, there are still vestiges of sinfulness remaining within you, right? Uh, there are still um, these places in us that are not fully um, turned over to the Lord. And so uh, even as Christians, even as those who've been redeemed, even as Martin Luther said, we are simul justus et peccator. We are at the same time justified and a sinner. Um, even for followers of Jesus, the, the way to start is always by returning to our original confession. 
by returning to the original confession that we are sinners, right? Um, we've rejected his servant love. Uh, and because we've rejected his servant love, God had all the right to reject us. But instead of rejecting us, he offers a substitute. That's the second point, substitution. Look again at verse five. It says, but he, who, who is he? Jesus, right? 700 years before, it's speaking of Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, literally lacerations, we are healed. Do you hear the substitution, right? It's, it was for our transgressions, for our iniquities, for our peace, for our healing. Jesus was pierced. Jesus was crushed. Jesus was punished. Jesus was wounded. Because God is a holy God, sin cannot go unpunished. Either he will punish you or he will punish a substitute. Jesus is our suffering servant who is our substitute. See, substitution is the heart of the gospel good news. Our comfort, our pardon comes at tremendous cost to someone. Um, you know, we're all familiar with uh, the tornadoes that ripped through the Midwest and, and particularly through Kentucky and, uh, and how in Mayfield there was a candle factory and we're used to seeing it from the air, the visual of the, that candle factory that was leveled. But here's a picture of what it looks like from the ground. Um, imagine if you were someone in that candle factory, crushed underneath that rubble, unable to get out. Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs. That word is like, means lifting something off of someone. And he's carried our sorrows. Jesus came and found us under the rubble. He lifted it up. He pulled us out. And then he dove in under it and let it down on himself. Right? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I, uh, I have a favorite illustration that I like to use at funerals, if you're allowed to have a favorite funeral illustration. Um, and uh, it's the story of um, Donald Gray Barnhouse, a famous pastor who had lost his wife uh, at a young age and had uh, little children. And, um, and so uh, he and his family were grieving the loss of his wife and their mother, and they were driving down the road. It was, it was around winter time, and they were stopped at an intersection, and there was a semi-truck in front of them, and the sun was coming down at an angle and casting the shadow of the truck out onto the snowy field. And uh, this grieving pastor and husband and father um, turned back to his children in the back seat and said, kids, let me ask you a question. If you, if you would rather, if you could choose, would you rather be hit by the truck or would you rather be hit by the shadow of the truck? And the youngest one piped up and said, 
Well, I'd rather be hit by the shadow of the truck because it couldn't hurt me. He said, children, your mother is with Jesus right now because only the shadow of death passed over her. Jesus let the truck of death hit him. Substitution. Jesus lets the truck hit him. We only get the shadow. John Oswald says, God's power is at its greatest, not in his destruction of the wicked, but in his taking all the wickedness of the earth into himself and giving back love. We are straying sheep, but Jesus is the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the Old Testament, there is this, there is this concept of atonement, right, of a, of a guilt offering, and And uh, particularly, uh, you see it very clearly in Leviticus chapter 16, where uh, the the high priest would would come to make atonement uh, for the sins of the people on one day of the year, uh, and this day of atonement, he would bring two goats, and one goat would be sacrificed, its blood spilled, uh, and the other goat, he would lay his hands on the head of the goat and confess the sins of the people, essentially transferring the sins of the people onto this goat, and then this goat was led off into the wilderness to wander, uh, and it was a picture of substitution. And that goat was called the scapegoat. Jesus, the suffering servant, is our scapegoat. He is our substitute. He takes our sins um, away. Isaiah himself experienced substitutionary atonement um, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah comes face to face with the holiness of God, and he says, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And an angel goes to the altar of God and takes a burning coal and touches it to Isaiah's lips and says, see, with this your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for, right, substitution, um, did, you, did you notice what the passage emphasized about this suffering servant? Three times it said it. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a sheep that was before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. There was no deceit, it said, found in his mouth. Why is Isaiah so fixated on the fact that this suffering servant was, um, you know, never sinned with his mouth because Isaiah knew that's where his sin was right? and, he, and he knew substitution. He was emphasizing Christ's perfect obedience. He was sinless in word and deed. And as the sin-bearing sacrifice, Jesus removes our sin, but at the same time, he also credits to us his righteousness. He shares with us his perfect acceptability before God, substitutionary atonement. Your sins are placed on Christ, and his perfect obedience is credited to you. He died the death that you deserve to die, and he gives you his life that you couldn't live. Substitution. Verse 11 says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. First John 4 says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the 
propitiation, the substitute for our sins. This week, President Biden awarded um, three men the Medal of Honor. Two of those men um, had already passed away. Um, One of them was Sergeant First Class Alwyn Cash. Sergeant uh, Cash uh, went into the um, Army in the late 80s. Um, He was actually from Oviedo. And uh, in 2005, he was in Iraq. And uh, they were going out on patrol because they had supplies coming. And uh, um, the the, uh, road between where the plane was going to land with the supplies to get to them at the base... Uh, they had to secure that and make sure that it was going to be safe for the supply trucks coming. And so uh, they got into their uh, military vehicles, into their um, armored vehicles. And, uh, and, and as they were getting to leave, leave um, Sergeant Cash's vehicle broke. And so instead of staying back, he uh, jumped into the gunner's seat of one of the other uh, vehicles and, and led the way uh, in front about uh, 15 minutes outside of the gates of their base, the, his vehicle hit an IED on the road. And uh, the IED exploded up under the vehicle and ruptured the fuel tank. And um, uh, in the process, uh, originally Sergeant Cash actually wasn't um, injured, um, but he was covered in fuel. But all of his fellow soldiers were trapped Uh, in the vehicle, and it was on fire. And so Sergeant Alwyn Cash went back not once, not twice, but three times into the flames, catching himself on fire, dragging out six of his fellow soldiers. Um, Over 72% of his body was burned. When they came with the evac helicopter, he was still walking around and making sure that they got all of his fellow soldiers on the helicopter before him, and even in the hospital later, he um, was kept asking, how are my men? How are my men? And three weeks after the attack, he died. And he received the Medal of Honor. It's beautiful, right? Sacrificial, servant love, substitutionary love. And as beautiful as that is, it's still not as beautiful as Jesus. Because what does Jesus do? I love how, how Luke says it. Um, or Jesus himself says, greater love has no one than this, right? That someone lay down his life for his friends. But Luke, look at what Luke says in his gospel. In Luke chapter two, it says, um, Mary wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And then at the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus dies, they take him down from the cross, and it says they wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb where no one had ever yet been laid. Do you hear the parallelism? The whole point why Jesus came, the whole point of Christmas. Shane and Shane artists sing, um, when the babe was born in a manger on the hay, God saw a veil torn. He saw Good Friday. He was born to die. So the suffering servant, despite being rejected by us, he demonstrated his love by offering himself as a substitute. 
And when we receive that by faith, something else amazing happens. Adoption. Adoption. Uh, Look again at verse 10. It says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. When it says there, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, it can literally be translated delight. It delighted the Lord to crush Jesus. It pleased the Lord to accept Jesus' sacrifice. Why? Because it was part of the plan. It was his goal. And what was the end of the, of the plan? What was the goal? What was he aiming at? Um, it says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Who are the servant's offspring? As Jesus is hanging on the cross, who does he see? You. You. You are his offspring. You are the one he died for. You are the one whom it pleased, is why it pleased God to crush Jesus, because he loved you and wanted to adopt you. Those who receive the servant love of Jesus by faith become children of God. You are adopted into the family. One commentator I read said, we stray as sheep, but we return as children. I read this story this week. Ryan and Morgan adopted a child from an orphanage in a foreign country. They had passed through all the legal processes in that country. Charlie was their son. But then at the last minute, things changed. There were some political upheavals and the country froze the process. No more children were going to be able to leave the country. Charlie could not come to Ryan and Morgan, so they decided to go to him. They flew over from the US and camped outside the orphanage. They spent half their time with their son and the other half lobbying the courts and meeting with government officials, pleading with them to release him. After a few weeks, Morgan came home, but Ryan stayed. It was Christmas time. This was not where he wanted to be for Christmas, away from home, far from family. But he was a father who loved his son. He was going to fight for that son until he brought him home. That Christmas, as Ryan battled corrupt court systems on the other side of the world, he was a picture of Jesus. Jesus, however, went further for us than Ryan went for his son. He didn't leave a country of privilege to move to a country of poverty. No, he left the riches of heaven to come to a world of pain. He did all that because he loves us. He did all that because he wants to be with us. He came to adopt us and make us part of his family. And when you become part of a family, when you're a child in a family, what do you do? You take on the traits of your parents, right? You you do the things that your parents do. We have been the recipients of servant love. And so we are called to give servant love away to a world that desperately needs it. All of the sorrows, all of the griefs, all of the brokenness of our world is the theater in which the servant love of God is to be played out by his children. No more let sins and sorrows grow, we sing, right? Nor thorns infest the ground. He has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. 
I want to play for you a clip from a, a podcast called Live No Lies. This is a conversation between two men, John Mark Comer and J.T. Thomas. Thomas is the founder of a ministry called Civil Righteousness. And in this clip, he is uh, going to talk about his relationship with his father-in-law. The background to the story is that um, J.T. Thomas is a black man who is married to a white woman. And so listen to this clip. My, my father-in-law, who's a, a really uh, a profound, profoundly wise man, a southern, I mean country, back backcountry mountain man. Um, when me and my wife, before we got married, he came to me and he said, hey, I never in a million years would have thought that my, my daughter would bring home a black man. And he says, I'm struggling. This is when me and my wife are dating. Because she's, there's like white people who grow up around black people. And then there's like white people, white people. <laughs> and she was like as white as white gets. And, and I didn't, I'm not the guy that didn't sit out and go, yeah, I'm a, you know, make good money and go find me a white woman. No, that was not it at all. It was a, a shock to me. I mean, we, we were like polar opposites on so many levels. And yet God brought us together. And, and my, my father-in-law comes to me and he goes, I never in a million years would have thought that my daughter would bring a, a black man home. And I can tell this relationship's getting serious. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm struggling. He goes, I, I don't like it. He says, it kind of makes my skin crawl. I'm sitting here like, oh my God. He says, but I also fear God. And he said, I need you to pray for me. I was so shocked. I was stunned. And he says, I, I, I said, okay, I will. I will. <laughs> what an odd prayer. I know. I was like, I was like, <laughs> I will. And then he says, no, I mean now. And he grabs my hand and he bows his head. And I'm like, uh, I guess I'm supposed to pray for this man now. So I can't remember what I stumbled out. I'm sure it was awkward and, you know, powerless. I don't know. But I just know that eventually we kept dating and um, finally we get to the wedding day and he stands up at the wedding and he said, he said in this small North Carolina town where they, the church, the only church that we knew of that would allow us to have a, an interracial wedding in the town. Goodness. This is 2005. Oh my gosh. We're in this church and he says, he stands up during the wedding and he says, I just want to say a few things. He says, I know we're making history today. And he says, I know that for this region, Western North Carolina, he says, I know there's a lot of people that don't like the fact that I'm giving my daughter away to a black man. And he says, but I want to say there is no greater choice for my daughter that I would ever choose than to give her away to this man. He says, on this day, this man has become my son. He is my son. He says, you are my son. And he says, and if anybody has a problem with it, <laughs> you got to go through me. <laughs> you know? My, my father-in-law, who's a, uh, a really... The first time uh, I heard uh, that story, I was listening to, I was driving in the car, and I was weeping. Because it's such a beautiful picture of what the servant love of Jesus can do. We're going to take two men who are polar opposite from one another and put them in the same family and cause them to love each other. 
Right? What, what could the servant love of Jesus through his people do in our world? Peter was wrestling with this, and so were the Christians that he wrote to, trying to figure out how to live as examples in their world of this servant love of Christ that they had experienced. And he draws on Isaiah 53. He writes, If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, John Oswalt writes, he says, it was precisely because Jesus knew who he was, where he had come from, and where he was going, that he was able to move from heaven to a barn, from knowing everything to knowing nothing, from supplying all the world's needs to becoming dependent on the breast of a little refugee girl for his very life. He could lay aside the robes of glory because he knew who he was. So my question for you this Advent season, as we get to Christmas next week, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? If you're in Christ, you are a sheep who strayed, but you have been brought home as a child because of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. If you are in Jesus, do you know who you are? You are the object of servant love. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.